This is Bamsey's Humanity First podcast. I am Chris Ryan, along with Peter Evers. And uh, today on the uh, podcast, we're going to be discussing COVID-19 and the cumulative effect it's having on our mental health uh, as a commonwealth and a nation. Peter, how are you? I'm well, thanks, Chris. How are you? Peter is the CEO of uh, Bamsey, and he joins us here on the podcast each week to discuss key issues within the Bamsey community and uh, the greater uh, community and commonwealth of Massachusetts. And I want to start with, with this and kind of a, a big topic. Do you feel that the public health crisis um, you know, with COVID has created a, a huge public health crisis in regards to mental health, where um, this is an invisible enemy? Um, very often, the battle with COVID is, a, is one that is within our own minds. And, you know, we uh, have seen increased amounts of depression, uh, anxiety, uh, alcohol use as a result of this. And, you know, we're facing the greatest public health uh, uh, epidemic or pandemic we've seen in most everyone's lifetimes with COVID-19. And I'd say um, the second greatest might be the the mental health that is associated uh, with this. And in particular, as we as a commonwealth and a nation seem to be moving backwards in that um, you know we had a summer where things were open people were out they were able to engage uh, some schools were open some people had gone back to work stores were open again and now we're seeing an increase in cases uh, the daylight hours are dwindling and you know it appears that um, we are probably moving back to a place of less activity and engagement uh, as a population. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think we are moving into, if we're not in the middle of, the next wave of um, of public health issues, which is the mental health response of the nation to to this pandemic. And I think it's also important to think about what the how we were doing before the pandemic, the pre-morbid, if you like, sort of condition of this country. We've talked a lot about social isolation um, on this show in the past, uh, and there are many, many people um, in America who live very solitary lives. There are also many, many people who uh, make minimum wage and are not having, uh, don't have a living wage who probably need to have two or three jobs to, to make ends meet with their families. Those are the people that have been affected most by this pandemic, people who have not been able to work, people who have really not um, had income coming in. And I know there's been stimulus checks, but actually, if you look at the length of time that we've had, that really doesn't amount to much for people. So you add on top of that this anxiety about where your next dollar is coming from, and that adds another sense of um, a fear to people through the anxiety of not being able to work and support family, losing, um, you know, housing because of not being able to pay the rent, those kind of things. This is really the next wave of it. And it's going to disproportionately affect um, our nation. Uh, Those people who were on the margins are going to be the people who suffer most in terms of where their next uh, meal is coming from, um, where their next job is coming from. And those are really going to add to some of the issues around um, around mental health um, issues in the country. And I think a lot of individuals had been able to, you know, trick themselves into thinking that uh, we were past COVID and that, um, you know, during the summer months when 
the economic numbers improved, where the health numbers improved, that that was perhaps going to be the new normal. And that um, may not have been totally past it, but at least we were in a place where progress had been made and that was, we were kind of plateaued with that progress. And now I think, um, you know, the cumulative mental health effect of going backwards and our kids who may have been in school going back home again mm-hmm. and having to do you know, in-person learning and the challenges of that, particularly for a group that you mentioned of um, people that are working a couple jobs in order to get by and they're not going to be able to work a couple of jobs. Uh, they're going to have to st- stay home and take care of their kids through the winter more likely than not. And, you know, it's an incredible stress on so many that, okay, I might get COVID-19 or my kids might get COVID-19, but I don't want to be the person that, you know, gives it to my dad mm-hmm. or, you know, you don't want to give it to your uncle or whomever, your mom. And so that aspect of this pandemic where, yeah, I mean, schools may be open, stores may be open, but you you know that there's this, um, you know, this, this uh, natural push and pull that is taking place where it's just going to take one circumstance where an individual perishes uh, or becomes very sick in a workplace and everyone is just going to feel horrible about how that transpired. We are on, you know, the edge right now. And I feel that, um, you know, from a COVID standpoint and a mental health standpoint, that, um, you know, this winter, as hard as it is to say, this this winter may be the most challenging time period we've faced so far um, because of where we are from a, a mental, particularly a mental standpoint and the aspect of us moving backwards again. I agree with you. And I suppose I would say, though, that the, the hope piece of this is that, you know, as human beings, when we are under this kind of stress, our first, and I totally believe this, you, might, you, probably, you may not believe what I'm going to say, Chris, but I think our, our initial reaction as human beings is how can I help the people around me? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I make sure that the person next door is okay? How can I engage in conversations that are positive about getting through this? You know, when you look at, you know, civilizations that have been under this kind of stress, the thing that's brought them through it and the thing that's ruined them is their inability to care for each other. So in a, all boats rise in a society where we look at people and say, well, how can we help everybody under these circumstances? This isn't anybody's fault. Um, it is something that we have to deal with. And I think we have to begin to think as we f- face this dark winter, and I do worry about that, we have to think about how can we help each other rather than and maybe expand our circle of caring so that we're bringing other people in, that we're checking in on people. Because, you know, I, and I think you probably feel the same way. This is, personally, I've had disrupted sleep over the last six months because I'm worrying in the middle of the night about what what are we going to do about, you mm-hmm. know, a whole raft of things, whether they be work, whether they be at home, whether it be your children who are in different places in the country who are in the middle of hot spots. All of those things, I think, are, are wearing heavy on us. And, and let's not deny that. And let's just sort of face up to it and support each other. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I think a lot of times – we seek to blame and to um, look in different directions because it's the, it seems like it's the easiest thing to do during that time period. 
But the best thing to do is always to reach out and figure out how you can help other people, even people that you don't think you like all that much. <laughs> um, and, you know, that type of reaching out in- inspires that individual to reach out too. And, you know, a collective uh, focus on goodwill and kindness and hope uh, during these challenging times, you know, is what is needed. And, you know, some of the the best days of this country during my lifetime were post 9-11, mm-hmm. where everybody wanted to help one another. Um, were there a lot of missed opportunities post 9-11? Absolutely. Did we go in the wrong direction after 9-11? Absolutely. But there was a collective goodwill. And I have to think that there are still a lot of people that are you know, jaded about that and they're jaded about you know circumstances in which they gave themselves to a, a goodwill and found themselves, um, you know, they thought perhaps used in some way or, or, or another. And, you know, that as a nation, I don't want to get too much into the 9-11 <laughs> psyche, but, um, you know, as, as a nation, there, you know, there, there is always, um, particularly amongst young people, um, which I'm no longer one. Um, there's, <laughs> there is a uh, a a collective innocence, and um, you know, I feel like it's very difficult to be innocent in this particular environment where even our our kids, and my kids are pretty young at ten and eight, are experiencing the um, the hatred and the vitriol of this election. And, you know, you want to show them adults that behave better. But it seems like our kids in a lot of ways are leading with that kindness and providing that that hope for, you know, adults to a large degree who have um, um, led them astray. Couldn't agree with you more. I think that sort of innocence and that idea, and as I was saying before, I think all human beings are tracked to um, to care for other people. We are we're a we're a group we're a group race. We we hang together. We 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 are very um, we're very social animals, and we need to bring the best out of ourselves. I think, and you know, never has been more true that sort of expression: "Be the change you want to see in the world." And I think if we concentrate on ourselves and think, well. How can I be my best self? What is what is my best self? What does my best self bring to fixing this situation as opposed to just sort of hunkering down, blaming other people and finding um, finding fights with people? It's just it's the wrong time. It's the wrong time for that. Yeah, I think you are absolutely right. And, um, you know, a collective mindset of, okay, this is the situation how can I make the best of this situation? What can I do in order to help others through this situation? If we have that type of collective mindset, um, I think that you know this could become a positive. And there's so many opportunities that exist during this um, pandemic for change. And you know, for many people, this is an opportunity for reflection and to figure out what they like about their lives, what they don't like about their lives, um, an opportunity to better themselves and to to move forward. And, you know, very often the best circumstances come out of the most trying circumstances. And, you know, this is an opportunity for a collective reset, I think, for our country and for uh, many people in this country. What do you like? What don't you like about what's taking place? And how can you be the change and uh, create those differences? I'm going to turn it over to uh, Peter right now, who is going to introduce our guest for 
this week's show. Hi, everybody. And uh, we have a special guest on the show today, uh, Lee Whittemore, who is the clinical director of the Whitman Clinic, uh, Behavioral Health Clinic um, at BAMSI. And uh, welcome to the show this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I, I would suspect that this is probably one of the most important times over the past few years to have a conversation about mental health in general, Lee. So thank you for coming on the show. Um, you know, we have been in a situation where we've been scrambling, I think, as a nation and locally as well uh, to make sure that um, that our society is continuing to to um, to prosper and get get along, and I think you know we're probably six and a half months into this now, and there must be a time I would think when uh, it begins to wear on people, and I'm I'm not just talking about those people who have the misfortune to suffer with the disease uh, of mental illness, um, which we will talk about in a little while. But I'm talking about the entire population, this idea that we can deal with a crisis uh, for any given period. And we're very good, I think, as humans at doing that. We're adaptive and we're um, resilient. But there, there comes a time when it really begins to pull, I think, on, on our emotional wellness. And I think about all of those people who haven't seen, you know, new babies coming into families, who have lost people during the pandemic and not been able to attend funerals in the culturally appropriate way that people would have done before, all of those things, but just the wear and tear and the, and the worry about something which is such an existential threat to us, which doesn't really seem to have an end. Um, and, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, are you seeing that in the clinic? Are you seeing that in our staff? Uh, you know, are there uh, conversations that you're having with clinicians around this and how we can play a role in our communities in terms of uh, improving or maintaining people's uh, mental wellness? So, you know, we have spoken with staff. Um, you know, we meet uh, a few times a month on Zoom just as a support to check in with staff, see how they're doing. And this is a common theme. You know, there's, en there's no end point. Um, you know, f so for the people we serve, you know, they're wondering how long are they going to go on with this uncertainty. And for our clinicians, you know, they're experiencing some of the same things, you know, the isolation, um, it's not business as usual, and there's no end point, you know. So we're trying to do a lot of support for the people we serve, but also to offer that, you know, to our staff. I think, you know, the key point that you mentioned is that there is no end point. I think that humans are conditioned to, to deal with adversity, but they want to be able to get past the adversity at some point. In this particular circumstance, not only do we not see when the end point is for facing that adversity, but it appears the adversity after this period of now six and a half, seven months is getting worse and that um, you know, we're heading in the wrong direction as we enter you know, the fall and winter months where um, you know, there's going to be an increase. We are seeing an increase in cases. Uh, there's going to be individuals that have um, you know, conditions, uh, colds, cough fever, sneezing, flu-like symptoms, which are going to replicate uh, that of COVID. And so there's going to be even more chaos, confusion, and moving in a different direction. And to, you know, to me, that's going to represent the most challenging aspect of this from a mental health perspective is that uh, we are going to appear to be going in the wrong direction when perhaps this is just the natural course of a pandemic, but we're not used to you know, what a pandemic is 
is like. What are your thoughts on the the time period that is um, with us right now and that is ahead from a mental health perspective? Well, I think we're already seeing, you know, the, the heightened anxiety and the worry, um, you know, as we're flooded with the news reports of numbers increasing and you know, I, I think over the summer there was a little bit of a lull in that. Um, unfortunately, I think some people became too comfortable. Mm-hmm. But for others, I think they developed the skills they needed to go on with life during the summer as, as normal as they could. Um, now, you know, it's colder. People are indoors. So naturally, the numbers are going up. And I think, you know, everyone's experiencing, you know, heightened anxiety, worry. Um, we've seen a lot more depression you know, I mean, this time of year, seasonal change, we see that with people as well. But, you know, they're looking at a long, as some people have put it, a long, dark winter um, with a lot of unknown. You know, the, that's, there was some, I had a conversation with um, an elderly person uh, the other day, somebody in their mid to late 80s. And I was just interested in a comparison uh, with somebody who had lived through the Second World War who had, uh, actually this person was English, um, who was, is my mother, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, it was my mom. It was my mom. I don't, we got to that roundabout. I don't, I don't get out much. But <laughs> but um, I said, you know, what was it like compared to COVID now? Um, and she had a really interesting uh, perspective on that, having lived through, you know, um, a war and a pandemic. And, her, and she said, in some ways, oddly, it was easier. Now, remember, she was under siege. She lived in a, a fishing port right. that was being bombed by the, uh, by the Germans. Um, and, uh, you know, her whole family did survive. But she said, in some ways, it was easier because there was a common enemy. There was, there was, it was Britain against uh, Germany and, and Nazism. And it was really, really clear. And in that sense, there was a rallying, a sort of clarion cry to, you know, we're suffering, but we see an end to this. We see democracy surviving. And in one way or another, it was going to end at some point where this, you know, you can place your hopes in a vaccination, um, herd mentality or whatever you want to to place uh, your hopes in. um, But you you really are not defined as what the end point is. The war, there's going to be an end at some point in time. It's going to end poorly or it's going to end well. That's right. Uh, And this is a invisible enemy that that there is no end in sight. Right. And, and Lee, the other thing she said that I thought was, was incredibly insightful, she said, and the other thing is that this, this is a pandemic that has become politicized. Whichever way you look at it, it has divided a country, has divided many countries, um, and people have used it as a weapon. Uh, and it's all, she said, I think it's worse because I'm seeing, you know, neighbors and friends disagreeing about what the science is, what the politics are. Um, I thought that was a kind of interesting perspective. I, I don't know what your thoughts as a, uh, as a mental health uh, specialist are on that, Lee. Well, I think it's, it's added to the stress um, that everyone is experiencing. I mean, at a time when people should really be coming together to support one another, they're finding themselves divided o- over these political issues, you know, that, you know, really has been fueled by the, by the pandemic. And, you know, it's, it's hard for many people you know, they're, they're upset that they can't call their, their uncle or their grandfather because their political views aren't the same. And it, during a time where they really want to be able to reach out to loved ones and friends and support each other, um, it's made it you know, really difficult for so many people. I think you make a really good point earlier about the fact that um, everyone is going to be going back inside and that um, you know, for many 
going outside and finding <clears throat> joy in bicycling or walking or um, hiking, uh, boating, um, all these industries which you know blew up over the last uh, little bit. You couldn't get a kayak, couldn't get a bike for mm-hmm. a long period of time because right. everybody wanted to um, be outside and enjoy what was around them, and that was their, their coping uh, mechanism. So I think that um, the, the coping mechanism for many is going to be gone and this is a time period where individuals you know naturally uh get depressed and i think what um both of you're talking about as well in kind of an abstract way is that COVID 19 very much is a war with ourselves um because it's a war with our mentality it's a war with um how we deal with the circumstances are we going to be you know uh, are we going to be overly uh cautious and what's going to come with that um, it's kind of like you know when you're trying to to diet or lose weight, where you're it, it kind of weighs on you because you're what are you doing? What is your own behavior? How is your behavior making you susceptible? Are you eating too much? Um, should you have snuck that uh, extra cupcake? And in this circumstance, it's oh, did I wash my hands? Oh, I, I didn't wash my hands. I took my mask off at the time I hugged someone. I touched someone. I was in a circumstance. So you you're constantly when you're fighting an invisible enemy, you are fighting against yourself and your mentality. And you mentioned you know letting the guard down, where people can also feel like. You know, I'm 80 years old, and I only have how many years left? Am I going to spend my time being in fear and cowering as a result of a virus, or am I going to go on my trip to Florida? And so be it. And then you may get upset with yourself with the decision you make there. The It's an invisible enemy in which we are at war very much um, you know, with ourselves and with our decisions. And do we way into the virus and say, oh, my kid's not going to play basketball this year, even though the opportunity exists because they could get COVID-19. And then you're like, well, they've lost a year of basketball and they could be having fun. Instead, they're going to be at home and playing video games. And what's the mental effect going to be on that? So we are very much at war with our own psyche, aren't we, Lee? Oh, we definitely are. We definitely are. We're constantly, you know, um, questioning our decision. Was that the right decision? That was the wrong decision. And, you know, it's, it's so hard to move forward and feel confident with the decisions that we make. Yeah, I think, you know, the other thing that I think about a lot is, you know, how, how, how are we interpreting as a population our, the messages that we're getting as well? Because I don't, think, I, I don't think the messaging around this virus has been very clear. And so people end up thinking, you know, there's this sort of collective responsibility and then there are the individual rights that people have. And those seem to be pitted against each other in a, in a political way that perhaps has uh, never been before. But Lee, just moving to um, this idea of people with underlying mental health issues, the people that we serve in the clinic and other places, you know, that group of folks are often much more susceptible to some of those you know, collective fugues, if you like, that we have, you know, as a country. I remember reading that, you know, when 9-11 happened, you know, there's a certain percentage of the population who will have an adverse post-traumatic reaction to that national tragedy. And indeed, that's what I saw in my work. Um, What are we doing um, to support those folks who are more likely to have uh, a negative reaction because of their underlying illnesses? 
Well, you know, obviously we're, we're approaching that on an individual basis, mm-hmm. but, you know, we're offering as much support as they need. Insurance companies are being very flexible on, you know, meeting the needs of individuals with underlying mental health issues. Um, you know, we've increased therapy. We've tried to be creative with people. Um, you know, we, I know in, in therapy, like with, within the um, sessions that I run with, with people that I see, people who are overwhelmed with being constantly flooded with this information, I've encouraged them to do some healthy things that don't involve electronics. Turn the TV off, turn the computer off, go outside while you can, mm-hmm. while it's nice out. You know, engage in, in a game of Uno with your children. Get Step away from the electronics. I think when 9-11 happened, that was the first time that um, Americans were flooded to that level with social media. You couldn't turn the mm-hmm. TV on without seeing pictures of the building falling and that man falling. It, it was horrible. Everyone was re-traumatized. So we encourage people to step away from that as much as possible and really just offer them whatever they need within the limits of what we can provide. That is such uh, good information. And I suppose I would. Uh, the other question I have is, uh, we have been, I know at BAMSI and lots of other agencies, we've been incredibly adaptive. We had this situation where people couldn't come into the to the office. We adopted um, telehealth almost within a week after I think Bams had been talking about a telehealth po- policy for the last four years. <laughs> they call it forced adoption. Um, and, you know, it's int- I've been interested in that people said, oh, well, this is the way of the future. People are going to work from home. Everything is going to be done by teleporting, not teleporting, telecommuting. <laughs> That'll be cool, though, too, when that I happens. Know, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Could you work on that, Lee? That'd be great. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, okay, w- this massive social experiment, wh- where were we at with that? Is, this, is it, in fact, the wave of the future, or is it another tool that we have to work with people? Are, we, are our offices all going to close down? I mean, what, what's your impression about that? I think telehealth is here to stay, but I think it's going to be an option for those people that it would benefit the most. It, it gives people more flexibility. Um, you know, there are many people that can't get to the clinic therapy and this is helping in that situation but for other people they do need to get out and what's best is for them to to be out and to to be seen in person so i think in the future once we hopefully get a vaccine and get some control over the virus i'm hoping that um, telehealth will 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 be here as an option i think in the foreseeable future it's going to be the main um the main service delivery. That is Lee Whittemore joining us here on BAMSI's Humanity First podcast, a clinician with BAMSI. And I want to get back to you know, the aspect of division in this nation and how we're dealing with uh, COVID-19. And you know, to me, um, in a free society as ours is, um, you know, we are not going to be a society that deals with a pandemic all that well. Um, a society that will deal with a pandemic well is you know a society that has a dictator with an iron fist that says this is what you're going to do this is how you're going to do it i'm going to create uniformity in um in doing so and you know a society like america which is one with local control local governance individual responsibility and freedom there is going to be um different feelings and philosophies now there we could certainly make the argument that um you know, from the federal government, there was not the appropriate signaling and messaging and uh, wherewithal and resources that were given to states and localities. But 
each with our country, each state and locality is going to be able to make able to make its own decisions. The public school can decide something different than the private school. The um, parks and rec department can decide something different than the uh, the AAU basketball program. And and the individual can make a determination as to how they're going to go and what they're going to do and how they can either f- adhere to the rules in the greatest possible way or to um, try to find ways to skirt around the uh, the rules. So uh, this is for both of you. I mean, do you feel that it is something that is bad for our society as a whole, that we are you know, um, in conflict at times about wearing masks and how individuals should act? Or is that type of individual freedom, you know, good for people from a from a mental health perspective? Or is, you know, uniformity uh, better where everyone is following and doing the, the same thing? Now, I'm not talking for about from a public health pandemic perspective. Obviously, if everybody is doing what science says to do, it's a better thing for that. But that's in a lot of ways not who our nation is um what are your thoughts well sorry peter okay so um you know it's really interesting of course um agency is the most important thing for human beings and the right for self-determination and it's one of those classic situations where the public good is sort of rubbing up against the against the uh, the personal uh, rights um and of freedom I do think, though, that it is a cultural thing. And just for a second, you know, if I can talk about the uh, there's an Asian um, uh, Chinese uh, adage, which is the lion and the Sierra. And there's this and the idea is that there's a picture of the Sierra and in the middle of it is a lion and that an Asian culture is much more likely to see the Sierra, the broad Sierra, the the idea of the of community. Whereas if you look at a Western, if a Western person looks at that, they see the lion. Right. Because that's the center of the, they, they call it the avocado pit, mm-hmm. if you've ever read anything about it. And, and it's, uh, you know, and we are much in the West, we're much more concerned with our individual rights and responsibilities. And that goes into business with copyright and all of those different things. Um, I think you're right. I think we're less likely to be successful but if you look at a New Zealand, if you look at a Sweden, I know homogeneous societies and everything, but there are ways that individual freedoms in society do connect with good outcomes uh, from, from COVID, I believe. Um, uh, Lee, I don't know what your thoughts are. And I think we're very fortunate that we live in a society where we have, you know, freedom of choice. You know, I encourage people to make informed decisions and, you know, rely on the science and I use a lot of examples for people who who feel that their their freedoms are, are being infringed upon with masks like I usually talk about seat belts and speed limits and mm-hmm. do you think they're helpful but you know, just encouraging people to make informed decisions um, you know, we, we live in a free society so with that comes the responsibility to make good choices right and the example that's been utilized a lot is you know South Korea had their first outbreak at the same time that America did and they were able to get things under control, but they have ability to access uh, cell phone records and data and um, to pinpoint, uh, you know, utilizing um, a lack of uh, personal freedom in those circumstances. Um, And so that's a a difference in how they were able to get COVID under control. 
um, there while the United States is still debating whether or not contact tracing is, is appropriate in many circumstances. What to level should contact tracing take place? Are you violating a person's uh, rights? How should we utilize um, cell phones? Dr. Fauci talked about the fact that um, you know the government uh, can't can't utilize that, but the techs, but tech companies can. And so could the tech companies work? So there's all these different aspects of um, trying to figure out exactly where that line between freedom and public health um, lies. And, you know, in conclusion, in this conversation, um, this is uh, Mental Health uh, Awareness Month. Um, and, you know, what are some of the things that you think, particularly in the winter, and you mentioned um, you know, some of the, the things previous, but particularly in the win- winter months, as individuals are noticing, um, you know, themselves getting depressed uh, or anxious over the circumstances that they find themselves in, uh, what are some of the best ways for um, individuals to get over um, and not just get over, but also to, to cope and find ration and reason about those moments? Well, I would encourage anyone experiencing that, you know, if, if they're not involved in therapy and they think it would be helpful is, you know, to reach out, to find someone to talk to, but to stay active. Um, you know, have uh, a sleep regimen where you're getting consistent sleep. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit. Our body needs to expect when to fall asleep and when to wake up. You know, be active during the day. Get up with a purpose, you know, and, and be social. You know, I would add to that, Lee, and something that's really frightening is that alcohol sales um, at liquor stores went up 50% in the uh, at the beginning of COVID. No, that may well be because the restaurants and bars were closed, but people's alcohol consumption definitely, or other mind-altering drugs, has definitely uh, increased um, in people thinking this is how I'm going to get through it and more drinking at home, things like that. You know, I would remind people that uh, that alcohol is, in fact, a depressant, and it might solve your problems in the in the immediate, but you're going to be, um, you know, paying uh, further on down the line if you as, if you continue to sort of increase the amount of alcohol your, your the, uh, uh, the intake of that alcohol. So I would I would just remind people of that that uh, you know just keep an eye on that because um, that can get away from you in a hurry. I agree. I agree. You know, self-care is so important. Yeah. Well, appreciate your time, Lee. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Lee. It was great. Thank, Thank you. That is Lee Whittemore joining us here on BAMSI's Humanity First podcast, a clinician with BAMSI discussing COVID-19 and the effects that it's having on our cumulative mental health as a society. I am Chris Ryan. For Peter Evers, have a great rest of the day, everybody. We'll catch up with you again next week.